Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bible. Open it to John chapter 13. I really want to encourage you, like every week, man, bring your, either bring your physical Bible or open up your phone, John chapter 13. And as we're walking through the scriptures today, if something strikes a chord in your spirit, highlight it, underline it. If you have a physical Bible, can I remind you, God will not get mad if you write in his book. If you put some pen to paper to highlight a verse or to make a note so you can reminded, be reminded of what he's teaching you in the moment, it will be completely fine. John chapter 13, we're going to start with verse 1 in just a minute, but let me remind you of kind of some context for what we're about to read. Number one, be reminded that the gospel of John is written by the disciple John who had a really special close relationship with Jesus. Jesus had his crowds and he had his core. He had this 12 group of guys, but within that group of 12, there were three that apparently, as we walked through the Gospels, had this unique, special relationship with Jesus. They got to see certain things that the others did not, but John often refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved most. And I don't know if Jesus actually told him that or if John just took some liberty. But when John writes his gospel, it's at such a different point than when the other gospels were written. And I think that's why he writes some things that we don't see in the other gospels. By the time that John put pen to paper to recount his experience with Jesus, all the other gospels that we have in the Bible would have been written. Matthew, who is one of those 12 that was with him, he had already put pen to paper. He had written his gospel. Mark, who had been discipled by Peter, one of those that were the original ones with Jesus, he had, Mark, John Mark had spent time with Peter, and Peter had shared his experience and discipled him in Christ, and he puts pen to paper to share his story. And then Luke, who is this Greek physician, who is a man of science and proof and evidence, and he says that I sat down to, to, to figure out all these things. And so he writes, the gospel of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts, which talks about all the things that are happening in the life of the early church. All those have been written. And now John, as a really old man, believe it or not, older than anybody else in this room, decides to tell his story. And John, when he writes, he has the gift of hindsight Anybody know that hindsight is a gift? Anybody ever look back on something and the way you see it now is so different the way it felt in the moment? Come on, somebody. (laughs) That there's things that you went through in the moment that did not make sense, that were even painful, that were difficult, that made you shake your fist at God, and in the moment you couldn't make sense of it, but now some time has gone by and you can see that even though it didn't feel like it in the moment, God was working something for his glory and your good. Testify, somebody. That's exactly what's happening with John. He's looking back on this moment with Jesus, and as we read what he remembers in John chapter 13, you see see him looking at these moments that we're going to lean into through that lens, that perspective of hindsight, of his time with Jesus. When you move into John chapter 13, And John spends more time in his gospel talking about this season 
this moment, this event with Jesus in the upper room than any of the other writers. John and his friends had been following Jesus for the better part of three and a half years. They had been invited into relationship with Jesus, and they had got to have a front row seat at the life of the Messiah, God incarnate, the one and only Son of God. They got to see him do all kinds of really cool things. They watched him have all kinds of encounters with people they never, never would have even spoken to or acknowledged. They got to see him heal things that seemed permanently broken. But by the time we get to John 13, John is remembering this moment when Jesus knew that his time on this earth was coming to an end. Because, see, Jesus showed us how to live, but ultimately Jesus came to die and then have victory over the grave. And Jesus, knowing that his time is getting close, he says, hey, it's time for the Passover meal. And it's not by, it's not by coincidence that when Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, is going to be crucified, kind of collides with this Jewish event we know as Passover because God knows what he's doing. And everything he orchestrates, he orchestrates with intention. And so he wants to celebrate this Passover meal, and, and Jesus knows that my time with these guys is about to come to an end. I've got just a few more moments with these men, these men who I'm going to entrust with, we might even say, the legacy that I've been building with my time on the earth. And I don't know about you, but if it's me, if I know this is the last few moments I have with the people I love, I'm going to be really intentional about what I say and do. If I told you tonight is your last opportunity to speak to and have time with the people that you love the most, I think it would change your plans for the evening. I think you would be much more intentional in the things that you said and the things that you did if you knew that this would be the last things that they would really see or hear directly from you. And so this moment in the upper room is something that we have to lean into. And as I've been thinking about this whole concept of legacy, and I know you all are saying, I thought we were finished with legacy last week. I meant it when I said it, okay? God kind of brought me back to this passage and these reminders of what Jesus did. And I just want us to quickly just remember. Remember who Jesus is. I very intentionally say, is and not was because he still is. Everything he is in here, he still is now. John chapter 13. Start with verse one. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given him, given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. 
Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. But Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Drop down to verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since this is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them." Y'all, we don't have a clue how awkward this would have been. The way that the disciples would have kind of tensed up the moment Jesus stood up and started moving in the direction of washing their feet. It is, it is something that was unheard of for somebody in Jesus's position. A, a king, much less a rabbi, neither of which would have ever sought to wash the feet of another human being. And when Jesus is sitting at the table and all of a sudden he stands up and he takes off his outer clothing and he picks up a towel. I don't think the disciples had a clue what was about to happen. They're all sitting back like, what's Jesus doing? And he stands up and he ties a towel around his waist. And he takes water and he pours it into a basin. The disciples are thinking, what's happening right now? And he takes that basin and he begins to go over to the disciples one by one and wash their feet. First of all, they didn't journey around Jerusalem in some Jordans, y'all. They would have been walking around with some type of sandal in the muck and mud of the city streets, feet covered in grime and dirt from the day. That's why this was a job most often reserved for a slave, not a king. And now the scriptures don't give us much more insight into what happened, but I can just imagine they start to kind of curl their feet back and think, what's happening right now? Whoa, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? We should be doing this for you. You shouldn't be doing this for us. And sometimes I wonder, in what order did he go? Not that it matters, but I'm just curious. Did he go to Judas first? Judas, who he knew, Jesus knew when he went, when he picked up the basin, he already knew that Peter was going to deny before the rooster crowed three times. He already knew that Judas had sold him out 
for just a handful of pennies. And he went and washed Judas's feet. And every time I read about Judas, and I've been thinking about that in the context of legacy, and I'm reminded that you can do everything right and some people will still go wrong. That you, we've talked about legacy over the last few weeks, and there's, there's some parents in the room that you're pouring into children that are wayward, and you're wondering what you're doing wrong. And my statement to you is maybe nothing. Because here's what I know. Judas went wrong, and there's no way Jesus didn't do, did anything wrong because he's Jesus. Look at me. You can do everything right, and they can still go wrong. Don't feel guilt for things you cannot control. But he washed his feet anyway. And then he gets to, he gets to Peter. And Peter's not having it. Because Peter was always a little much. He's a little extra. And Jesus says, you don't understand because, see, I'm walking around with this bowl of water and I'm wiping your feet with this towel, but there's something more significant than just getting the grime from between your toes. That there's something, there's, there's some symbolism happening in this moment that you can't see. That there's a reason why Jesus, before they put a whip on his back and a cross on his shoulder, he tied a towel around his waist. There's a reason there's, and there's something that I don't think I've ever thought of until recently. That by the time Jesus was done, this crystal clear, clean water and this pristine towel that he put around his waist was no longer either of those things. That probably just a few guys deep into this foot washing ceremony, that water was brown and murky and gross. And more than likely what he would do, he would wash their feet with his own hands. And then he used the towel to dry them off. And so he didn't, he didn't just take the grime off them, he put it on himself. By the time, look at me, by the time they were done, they were all clean and he was dirty. And he says, you don't understand. See, I'm not just trying to get the grime off you. I've got to take it off you and I've got to put it on me because that's the only way that things are going to be made right. And that's exactly what he did on the cross when he took your sin and put it on himself so that he could pay for it bought in full. He took your sin and put it on himself. The same way he took the dirt off their feet and put it on his own hands, he took your sin and put it on himself so that he could be the sacrifice necessary to buy you out of that brokenness, make you right with the Father, and give you hope and life for all eternity. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let me prove it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That there was more happening than they realized. But when Jesus took a pitcher and poured water into a basin, that wouldn't be the last time he would pour as a part of that meal. 
as a part of that time in the upper room. Go to Mark. Mark chapter 14. It says, as they were eating, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it. Gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. There was a lot that Jesus said that night, his last evening with his disciples. But the two things he did, I think, are the things he wanted to leave in their mind. First, he poured water into a basin. Later, he picked up bread. And he said, look, I know that you think I'm holding just a piece of bread. But later, you're going to eat bread in honor of me. And I, don't, I want you to remember that the bread you're about to eat is representative of my body that's going to be broken for you. They didn't know in that moment as he tore that bread representing his body, they had no idea what his poor body was about to go through. It would not be long before he would be tried multiple times all throughout the evening and then eventually be sentenced to flogging. Flogging was a beating they would give you. They'd bend you over a rock and they would take a leather whip and they'd hit you on the back with it 39 times because they believed 40 would kill you. So they would beat you as close to death as they probably could. That the body of Jesus would be beaten unlike anything they'd ever seen. And then eventually they would sentence him to death and put a cross on his back and he would carry it to a hill called Golgotha and there they would nail him to this cross, this vicious form of capital punishment that the Roman culture figured out was the best way to deter crime in their society because you would hang there for hours and Jesus did for hours before he gave up his life. That night when that bread was broken, that imagery wasn't in their mind the way it is in ours, the way it would be in John's when he would write his gospel later. He said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he raised it and he blessed it. He said, that bread is my body broken for you, but this, this is the blood. A new covenant that I and the Father are making with you because it is by this blood that you will be made whole. It's because of the shedding of this blood that forgiveness will be made possible for your sins. Because from Old Testament on, it was made very clear that atonement required the shedding of pure blood, the blood of a lamb. And Jesus was sitting among them as that perfect lamb of God that would willingly shed his blood so that they could have forgiveness. And that night, that first evening, just as when they were washing, he was washing their feet and they had no clue the power of the symbolism as they were becoming clean and he was getting dirty and the symbolism of him taking on, he was washing their, filth, their feet and embracing their filth. And then later in that same night when Jesus gave them bread and gave them the cup, they had no clue what it would mean later. 
I always wonder what, what was communion like the first time they shared it together on the other side of the empty tomb when they remembered what Jesus said and all the emotion that, guys, you remember when we were in the upper room with Jesus and, and he shared this meal with us and we had no clue what was going on and now we've watched him be beaten, we've watched him crucified and then we hung out with him a few days later when he conquered the grave. And now we eat this meal as a reminder of the beauty of the gospel. And that's why we share it today. We gather around this Lord's table because Jesus said, when you get together on the other side of all this and you drink and you eat, remember, remember. Don't forget. And maybe you've forgotten the beauty of what Jesus has done for you. And today we're going to gather around the table and we're going to share this meal. And I want you to know something. Number one, this is something that scripture says we should not take lightly. That when we eat this meal, not truly believing in our hearts, what it represents, we make a mockery of it. And I know that in a room like this today, there's people all over the spiritual spectrum. And man, we're glad you're here. Maybe you're still trying to figure Jesus out and you don't know who he is. I invite you to sit back and, and watch and just soak it in. But I also want you to know today's a good day to meet him. Today's a great day to invite him in. That he died for you. He knows everything that you would ever do and he did it anyway. He didn't just die for my sin, he died for your sin so that you could have life. And Jesus is not a way, he's the only way. And coming to know him and experience salvation, it's not complicated. Following him will be a challenge, but he's gonna help you with that too. You don't have to regurgitate some prayer that I give you. Scripture says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, if you will understand that I am a sinner in need of a savior, I haven't just made mistakes, I've sinned and I've been separated from God and I can't do anything about it and I don't have to because he did, he did. And just say, Jesus, I believe that you broke your body and you shed your blood for my sins and I ask you to forgive me and help me to have the strength to follow you. That's all you have to do. And you can share this meal with the family of God with new meaning today. In just a minute, I'm gonna invite you to come and get the elements and we're gonna do a little bit different today. We have a rule about my family. When you sit down, you don't start eating until everybody gets there. And so today, I don't want us just to rush through this. In just a minute, I'm gonna pray and then if you exit out your section to your left and return to your right, come and grab a cup and grab a piece of bread and then return to your seat and just wait. And then we're going to eat this meal together corporately as the family of God. So would you go ahead and stand up with me? Our host team is going to come and they're going to get the elements ready. Father, thank you for the reminder of what we have in you, that in you and through you alone do we have the forgiveness of sins, the hope for eternal life. 
And God, I tell you, I pray that today that this meal would be as personal as it's ever been. In Jesus' name, I invite you to come and eat. Again, if you'd exit to your left, return to your right, grab a piece of bread, grab a cup. The, clo- the station closest to you might be behind you. There's some in the corner of the room. You might want to go to the back. There, there's, I think, five stations. Just go ahead and make your way to whichever one is closest to you. And as you get your elements, just return to your seat. And if you just want to sit and pray for a minute until everybody returns to their seat and has the elements. And as you're gathering up the elements, I'm going to read to you another passage of Scripture. So hear these words as you grab the body and the blood of Jesus. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. If you're watching with us online today, I hope that you have the elements ready and we will eat together as a family in just a moment. I know we have a lot of people traveling and away and I hope the Spirit of the Lord is right with you where you are as well and you've prepared for this holy moment as we share together. As you're in your seat and you're just holding the elements If you just want to be offering up prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving, in your hands you hold the body and blood of Jesus, these beautiful reminders that Jesus gave us of the sacrifice that he would make so that we could have life. Just even as you hold them, I pray that that moment that you first understood the meaning of it washes over your heart, that you're taken back to that time and that place. Family, Jesus said this was the meal that we should eat as a reminder. And today I pray that it is more meaningful than any other time you've ever taken it. 
In your hand are symbols of hope and forgiveness. So I invite you now, take the body of Christ, take and eat and remember what he's done for you. And in your hand, his blood poured out for your forgiveness. Take and drink in remembrance of all he's done for you. Jesus, we are overwhelmed by your sacrifice. God, thank you for pouring yourself out. God, that night you poured twice, once water, once wine, both symbolizing the washing of our souls, made clean so that we could be in the presence of Almighty God, so that we could be made whole and presented worthy and righteous. And so God, today for that, because of that and in that, we give you praise. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.